All right, Mickey. So got a question for you. You've been on the road uh, off and on for what months now, I think. And there's more and more people that are thinking about getting out of their leases or Airbnb their homes out so they can go on the road and take advantage of um, this extended remote work uh, reality. And I'm curious, what have you learned about what it's like to be working pretty consistently on and off the road? What are some lessons learned um, along the way that folks should think about before they consider whether or not it's a wise decision for them to pack up and uh, work, you know, kind of uh, bouncing from place to place? What have you what have you learned along the way? So I think I've learned a lot. Uh, I think it kind of depends on the type of work that you do. If you have a lot of solo independent work or work that can be done at your pace or when you need to do it, rather, um, is a better way to say that, then it's it, it's different than if you're um, someone that has to have lots of meetings or routine check-ins at very specific times, because then it becomes a little more challenging to kind of plan things out. And that's what I've learned. And we're continuing to kind of tweak this as a family as we plan out our trips. You know, some trips, well, I would say all trips, they're either short or long with multiple stops. So I'm not going and parking RV in a place for a week. I'm parking RV in a place for two to four days and packing up and then going somewhere else. Yeah. So um, that kind of what I've learned is, you know, I I can do some calls from the road. um, And I would do that before all of this when I was traveling uh, for work all the time. Uh, but you know, what I've learned or what I've kind of found and through all of this is my time on the road now is more often driving in a vehicle, not flying on a plane or sitting in an airport. Sure. Meaning when I'm doing a call, if I'm on a committee call or a group call where I'm there to support or just to lead 15 minutes of an hour long call, you know, when I'm not in that 15 minutes, I could multitask and take care of some other small email things that, you know, can you send this over to me? You know, quick things you can turn around. I could, I could do that. I can't do that when I'm driving. And those things start to pile up. So last week on the road, uh, my inbox got overwhelmed. Um, you know, I had every day last week, uh, 100 plus unread emails every day. I, I, wow. By the time I get it back down to 100, it jumped right back up because I would go on a call. And, and that, you know, took some time to get caught up. Uh, I'm almost caught up at this point. And, and that, you know, so we have to kind of look at how we adjust our time for that and plan around that. Um, I block an hour every Monday at 8.30 to spend uh, my time looking at what I have for the week, looking at what may have come in over the weekend to know that I've planned everything out. Everything's got the appropriate time. If I've got a, for example, had a, a presentation yesterday at the end of the day, you know, that's, I, you don't just walk into the presentation. You've got to build it. You've got to run through it and make sure you have what's what the client or prospective client may need and having that ready and making sure that I have time blocked out for that. So yesterday was uh, my first call was at 9. Um, my last call ended at 6.30. And, it, and I had two 30-minute breaks throughout the day Jeez. to work on that presentation. That's wow. all I had. Now, that's an exaggerated kind of look. Not every day is that, that full. Uh, and I don't love those days um, when, with lots of Zoom calls. Um, but, you know, if you know I'm going to be on the road, for example, then I can't necessarily just have nine full hours like that. I have to make sure I have other things blocked up. And that pushes other things back. So you just have to think through that and understand what's coming up in your queue and think about it. 
uh, and then plan. Look at what your trip has uh, has involved. If it's multiple stops, if it's one stop, um, if you're worried about internet connectivity, making sure you alert folks ahead of time. If you're worried about internet connectivity, don't schedule a really important meeting um, without thinking through, okay, this important meeting is going to be Thursday at 2. If I don't have internet, what am I going to do? Yeah. How far is a Starbucks? How far is something else that might have Wi-Fi in a parking lot that I can sync up to and connect in the way I need to connect or get closer where I have a cell signal strong enough to use my device as a hotspot? Just have that plan in place because if you don't and that meeting is with other people and you are an important piece of that meeting, that meeting will fail and you'll be a primary reason why. That will damage your reputation and also hold back the work you're doing. So just have that in place. I, I, can't, I mean, only when we first started did I allow that to, to bother me. I have other things to support. You know, if I'm in a place that has poor cell reception, I've already planned out where I'm going to be. I also have a cell booster, um, cell phone booster that gives, you know, gives one bar, two bars. It's not perfect, but it helps increase um, access. And I use that when needed. Now, that only works in an actual true hotspot, not to my device. So I had to have a hotspot just to help with those times and ensure that, you know, when these things come up, I have a plan in place and I'm ready to address it and not let that hold back. And with that, folks, we welcome you to Fanatical Fridays with Mickey Baines. Our goal each week is to discuss the trades, the strategies, and the tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. Mickey, I think this conversation is actually important because, uh, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is when it comes to enrollment management, right? If you're if you're a counselor, if you're a program coordinator, and you're used to being on the road, uh, and you uh, you have to manage emails, you have to manage calls kind of consistently from different places. The idea of maybe some sort of longer term, um, you know, on the road sort of 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 working is not completely foreign, and it actually might make sense for some folks. So I'm curious, especially as uh, as universities, as some universities decide to do virtual-only uh, tours, virtual-only interviews for the foreseeable future, uh, I'm just curious wh- whether or not you think, thinking about your own clients, right, like how realistic would it be for a, uh, a director of admissions or, or an admissions counselor to think pretty seriously about working kind of on and off the road for the next, let's just say the next semester? Oh, well, it's definitely something that's feasible. Uh, I don't know that all universities will buy into that model, uh, but I, I, I know it's feasible because I've done it, you know, before this happened, I was on the road 60% of the time for three and a half straight years. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I've, I don't know between 2016 and, and the um, first quarter of 2020, I boarded over 300 planes. Like I, I know it can be done from the road because I've lived it and I've done it. Um, you know, so so it's feasible. I don't know how many are going to buy into that. I think you know, if I'm an employee of an institution and I want to do that, and I've got someone willing to consider it, I'm before I even pitch it, I'm probably going to look at how do I ensure and demonstrate to everyone around me because it's not just the, the the person above you that has to approve it sure you know you've got colleagues that may not be doing it that are going to question whether or not you're putting in your time you know so how, what am 
what do I do to demonstrate that I am putting in that full-time effort uh, aside from numbers? Because by the time numbers are there, you know, you've already been doing it for several months before the numbers show to be up or down. Sure. So sure. what do I need to do to demonstrate? And I want to present a plan to say, look, you know, I want to do it this way. This is my work that I need to do. Here's how I would think I would do it. And here are the results I expect to get from it. Here's where I think it's going to be different. Here's how you're going to know what I'm doing and not have that in place. And I think you've got a, a much more approachable and, and, and feasible way to present and potentially get an approval for that. I mean, you might be at what, well, you know, some institutions will be, you know, freer to that um, line of thought in others or to that approach in others. But I, you know, I, I'm one that when I wanted to, to do something different that was out of the norm, when I work in higher ed, I would have a plan in place to say, this is what I want to do. This is why I want to do it. This is how I think we're going to do it. And here are the results we're going to get from it. Same thing here. If it's, if it's your work environment, sure. Whether you want to do it from the road or do it from home. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that makes a ton of sense. And, and I'm really, really intrigued to see whether or not um, how, how this specifically affects enrollment management teams, like how working uh, virtually working remotely for extended periods of time, what that's going to do culturally within our admissions offices. So I'm, I'm really intrigued there. And, you know, this sort of uh, leads is, is an interesting segue into something that I've been thinking a lot about recently, which is on digital brand personality. And I, in, in a world where, again, People aren't coming to campus as frequently. It's a little bit, there are more friction points to getting uh, tours to happen, to getting interviews, to getting, um, uh, you know, one-on-ones with, with, with current students within the context of university. Folks are going to really have to rely on uh, creating some sort of digital space, digital environment that helps communicate and uh, the differentiators of of their brand, right? Like one of one of the things I was thinking about last night was that you know we're used to being able, like if you're if you go if you're a high school student and you're going on like a campus tour with your school group or you're going on a campus um, uh, a college tour, excuse me, with your with your parents, you're typically visiting multiple schools within a relatively short period of time, and you're you know, walking on campus, you're looking at their swag, you're, you're getting a feel for, for what the, uh, the, the vibe is like, right. What the culture of the school is like. And now for a lot of folks, right. They have to communicate that culture. They have to communicate that difference all like on the same, you know, 11 or 12 inch sort of, uh, view from like the laptop, uh, uh, screen, right. Like in other words, the way in which prospective students are first engaging with or, or seriously considering and evaluating schools is in a purely digital context. And so how do enrollment management teams, first and foremost, like understand that, own that, and then how do they go about enabling that to happen, enabling some semblance of like their, you know, unique value proposition, some semblance of of their deep kind of rich culture to be communicated in primarily through their website and social channels. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if you've seen any like good examples of schools like pivoting in this way, maybe some um, some questions maybe that even your your own clients are, are wrestling with. Um, I, I, this is particularly interesting to me. I have no idea if this is if this is of any interest to you. <laughs> well, so I, I don't know that I have an example yet. I can tell you something that's on uh, every enrollment manager's mind that we've been talking with. In fact, I was on a uh, a call yesterday for I don't know ninety minutes or so um, 
talking a lot about, you know, the way the, this particular institution will be using technology um, to replace a face, you know, a physical face-to-face environment, and talking a little bit about the concerns, um, the unknowns, and not necessarily knowing how to do that. And I would suspect that a large majority of enrollment teams are going to be struggling with this and thinking about it. How do we replace the work that we've been doing um, in a face-to-face space in the virtual way that you're just talking about? And it's, you know, it's it's something that has to be addressed. And I, and I think it's an opportunity here. It needs to be addressed from a marketing and enrollment slash recruitment uh, perspective um, because we have to, you know, visually change the digital experience uh, and we have to then use the digital channels to relate to students uh, and those need to be connected sure we're not connecting them it won't make sense Um, and i think um, i don't have evidence on this but i think connecting them is more important now than it was in the old world because digital versus true face-to-face were two different modes of connecting but now it's all virtual connecting and i think it's more important to ensure that we're we connect what's happening from the marketing side that digital experience presented there with the digital experience we're presenting from a recruitment side does that make sense that makes a lot of sense and i think that that poses all sorts of fun challenges and um and and to your earlier point opportunities and what I'm sort of interested to see is like how this will change, right? Uh, the 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 investment that teams and I'm using teams broadly make in their digital communications and, and their website, right? So like for for let, let's just use a graduate example. So I was having a conversation with uh, a graduate enrollment manager. Uh, this must have been two weeks ago, and they were complaining yet again about how their faculty control program specific pages and it's really challenging because faculty want things on the website that the enrollment management team uh you know i I would argue rightly believes uh prospective students don't care as much about as faculty members might think that they care about and these pages end up being you know very text heavy um lots and lots and lots of information filled with lots and lots and lots of jargon um that is isn't always doesn't always deliver a fantastic user experience so we was talking. I was talking with this with uh, this gem professional, and we were going back and forth. And you know, one of the things I said to her is like, you know, is your faculty member are they like on the hook for helping with recruitment? And she said, yes, like they, you know, we roped them into um, admissions events and uh, virtual chats. And they're obviously the subject matter expertise and students want to hear from them. And I said, well, you know, uh, how often is uh, in in like normal reality, how often is this this individual present? He's like, oh, you know, he's actually present at every event and anytime there's a you know someone on campus he wants to bring them into his office and have a conversation with him and yada 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 and I said well you know we're now living in a world where that's not possible right so maybe right maybe the way in which again the initial problem being bad website pages and wanting to be able to access and improve those website pages for the user maybe this is like the opportunity to explain to this faculty member that look buddy right your your the your page now your series of program pages that is like you have to translate what you do so well face to face on in a purely digital space on these like three pages 
And how do you creatively, like maybe this is the opportunity for, for him to basically tell you, look, okay, great, that's your area of expertise, that's marketing's area of expertise, it's not my expertise, but culturally, this is sort of what I want to give off when people land on my program pages. So that was a long story, but the point is that I see this moment as a huge opportunity for enrollment managers to actually dramatically improve not just their website, but all of their digital communications and get help from other stakeholders within the institution that I believe are going to prioritize this and take this way more seriously than they ever have because it's it's their only option. So I don't know, again, if, if, that, if that resonates with you, Mickey, but I thought that was a really interesting story and hopefully it will encourage listeners to think critically about in you know uh, the old world when it was really hard to get more resources to be able to better these communications or it was hard to get faculty members to understand why they shouldn't just cram a bunch of program information in seven paragraphs on a website page. Maybe this is the opportunity to have those conversations, make meaningful change because the biggest challenge for everyone right now is to be able to communicate their value, communicate their culture, communicate their difference on a website page. So I don't know. There, hopefully that was the, that, that was at least somewhat interesting to folks. It was interesting to me. Well, I think uh, so. When I when I listen to it, Zach, you know, c- kind of what's running through my mind now is to think about the role of the website in the entire enrollment process of the student who's considering enrolling. Is the website something that I use as a reference tool with a prospective student while I'm having a conversation with them? Mm. Or is the website something where the prospective student is using to gather information then to ask me a question? Huh. Right? Yeah. Um, I, I prefer the latter right now because I, as, as an enrollment manager, want to have that conversation. Um, if it's something I'm referring back to the student, you know, that can be a little more text heavy. Um, but if it, I want that, if I want to drive that prospective student to me to ask a question, I don't want text heavy, especially now that I know I have to replace those face-to-face conversations with different virtual ones. Sure. You know, I want to, to create that. And so if I go in that mode, that helps put more framework and understanding around why I'm trying to reduce some of that text. I want that student to have a conversation now. Um, it's more important to have that conversation now. And then have to think about who's having the conversation and make sure that they're comfortable having that same conversation. Because if I'm having a face-to-face conversation with you, I can see in your face, you know, what excites you, what is most interesting to you, where you're confused or what you, where you might be holding back. I don't see any of that in the virtual world. So how do I then draw that out of you? Yeah. Yeah. And that's important because those are how we have the meaningful conversations is when that student's willing to share or you can see that student's getting excited or is confused. That helps move and direct your conversation in a face-to-face world. I, I still need to move that conversation and have that value and provide that excitement to a student. But if I don't know when they're excited, it's very difficult. So how do I do that in a virtual world? And that's that's a gap that we need to address. And the folks who will do best next fall will be the ones that find a way to do that successfully yeah. in the virtual world this fall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've been thinking about when I went on uh, campus tours and how at the end of the tour, 
And you, you know, you heard the admissions person talk, you heard a couple of faculty members talk, you heard a couple of students talk, and at the end of the tour, they bring you to a room and they're like, all right, like, uh, if anyone wants to start an application, they're welcome to do so here. Obviously, no pressure. Otherwise, there's, you know, uh, juice and cookies over here. And um, what was interesting about that was like, you just had like two plus hours with these people absorbing, right, the, the campus, understanding sort of these student stories and there were all of these you know beyond just the person talking at you beyond the person just answering your questions there were all all these other sort of influences right many of which were probably subconscious hitting you and encouraging you to all right you know what I'm going to submit this application like why not this school's kind of cool or that person over there was was someone interesting or I, I like this building like the cafeteria is awesome and in a world where that doesn't happen or isn't going to happen in the same way you still need to get to your point, Mickey, you still need to get people to the point where they're going to start the application, you need them to start the application. So in a world where you don't have that two hour lead up with both, you know, answering of questions, delivery of content, delivery of stories, all within this beautiful building, right? And somebody is on their couch looking at your website, and then maybe scheduling a chat with you, right via 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 chat via zoom, whatever it might be. How do you get the same result, which is to get them to freaking start the application when you don't have all of that buildup? And I think that what folks need to do, to your point too, the best enrollment management teams will think about how do we recreate to our best possible ability that buildup so that, and then, and then how do we translate that into a completely digital virtual uh, feel? And the people that are able to do that are the people that are going to get those applications started. And and that's just a hard thing. Like it's it's just really 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 hard. And I, you know, I'm I'm really curious to see even three six months from now who sort of the leaders were. Like who who are we going to be talking about in six months from now that were you know these this institution like no one really knew of them pre COVID, but post COVID their response and the way that they were able to move their culture digitally and use that as a way to solicit new applications um, was so admirable that it inspired many other institutions. And so, um, you know, the jury's still out there, but, but yeah, I, I, I'm going off here now, but I think that this stuff is really important. And I think it's also worth just noting to, to listeners that it's, none of this is easy. Um, it's all outside the box. But that, that also makes it really exciting. It does. Well, and, you know, and, and usually as we have these conversations each week, you, you ask me what's been on my mind, and you unknowingly actually cued me up because this is the type of – this is exactly what's been on my mind. Hmm. <laughs> Thinking through that because one of the things I discovered last week we mentioned we we're talking about some of the um, this this hybrid event we were doing with a couple of clients. Yeah, to, yeah. To try to get folks back on campus. You know, and I can tell you, we've, we've got a client who's been, you know, really hammering the phones, trying to get in touch with their, their student uh, population or prospective student population. And to get them that, you know, those who've not taken that step to say, hey, we want to get you on campus. We've got this event. We can help, you know, get these final things uh, completed, taken care of. And and and, and surprisingly, um, I mean, I, I was hopeful you'd have a good response to this. And I will tell you, in the first week of of making phone calls to to a list of folks, we called about 358 or so folks to invite to an event. Wow! And uh, and and we got a, like a 20 percent response. That is incredible. From phone calls. Wow! Phone wow. calls. 
you know, I, what I normally get from folks is, well, I call a hundred people. I'm lucky if I talk to five. Yeah. Well, A, you don't have to talk to everybody. Um, B, it's what you do in addition to the call, whether it's leaving a voicemail or not, because sometimes the voicemail is full or not set up. And then how do you follow up and using those things and getting that? So, you know, we, you know, we've got a capacity at the event because we have to maintain social distance and this is our first one. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we are near capacity uh, faster. Um, now we've added three more events so that we can continue to grow and, and, and support this because we still have another 5,000 people to call in the next week and a half. Yeah. A lot yeah. of phone calls. Um, so, so when you look at that, you know, it tells you that the interest is there. Um, you know, th- that's, that's what we need. And, and a, that, you know, that the students are showing us where their interest is B the staff that are kind of feeling, uh, overwhelmed with all that they're being asked to do and low morale because enrollment's not looking where they want it to be now have a reason to be more excited and be uplifted about this because this is starting to pay off. Um, we're getting bigger groups of students to to show interest. Whether or not we get them all there, you know, at least we've identified out of all of these names on a list who's truly interested. You know, yeah. they're the ones saying yes. You yeah. know, now we have an ability to target folks. In addition to getting them there to register, we we have more interest of folks, and we we see that. So um, it's it's been a, a great response, um, and it's shown a great need. And we you know we've done some fire drill type you know, level of work, quick turnarounds, and we're getting a team ready to open up a campus faster than they thought, but it's a good dry run of what, you know, fall's going to look like in four weeks. When this is an institution opens a little later than some, um, but, you know, we'll get a good sense of and a feel for what that will be like for them. Well, I think that that is a great high note to to end on, and I think that what you all are doing is is awesome. Would love to continue to hear sort of how this ends up performing and how this ends up translating into uh, you know the bottom line. But thank you for for your creative leadership, your creative wisdom, as always, Mickey. Um, super fun talking with you today, um, and yeah, I just want to end with a, an encouragement to everyone to use this opportunity, use this moment as a, a real chance to do that thing, start that campaign, uh, change that process that you've been thinking about for years. Um, maybe you've run into a lot of friction along the way. Now's as good a time, maybe the best time as any to really rethink everything. So uh, appreciate your time, folks. Thanks for listening in. Thank you, Mickey. Have a great weekend. You too, Zach. Talk to you next week. Take care.